Hey guys, here Pastor Kent here, and I want to follow up the video that we were talking about uh, last week sometime, and I have Hannah here, and uh, she'll introduce herself in a few moments, but I want to kind of bring you up to speed of what we're doing. What we're talking about is how can we be more persuasive as Christians when we're talking about this issue of an abortion? So we're going to have a lot of different dialogue throughout this conversation, but I want to start with kind of where I left off, and that is, why do we keep losing the political debate when actually most of the nations on our side if we know how to frame the argument correctly. And so let's say that I'm just a guy standing in the middle of the uh, park and uh, the news camera comes by and wants to get my opinion on this and everyone kind of knows that I'm a public figure on some level. Uh, I'm a pastor in the area and so people are going to recognize my face. What am I going to say to that? Or I could be a, you know, a local assemblyman or something for the state, whatever it is. Here's what I would say. I would say, listen, if I could have any way that I want, I would immediately make all forms of abortion illegal. That there, as soon as there's conception, that's when the, it's a child's life. We do everything we can to save the child. That's the bottom line. Now, I know the consensus of the state and the country is not there, and I respect that. I don't have a right to force people against their will to do things that I want to use power to accomplish. I think we need to persuade it. And until we can persuade the, the, the constituency of our country to get there, uh, I have to take this incrementally. And this is the same exact way as the progressive have done as they've marched through the institutions. Well, this is one of the, the games or one of the uh, critical cultural issues I'm willing to march through the institutions over time. And I believe you take the argument where it is. Where, where is the consensus in the populace right now? Great. How can I step one step further than that? How can I move them one step forward? one step closer to my way of seeing it. How can I persuade them, not overpower them, persuade them, respect them, understand where they're coming from, meet them where they're at and show them a better way and slowly take territory over time. This is what the liberal pro progressives have done in the universities. And this is what we need to do in culture in every issue that we deal with. We have to be able to do that and we have to do it involving three different levels of argument. One is the logic of it, and that's known as the logos. The second is the empathy of it and the emotion of it, and that's the pathos. And the third is the ethics of it, which is the ethos. We have to have a game plan for doing it, ethic. How do we live this out in everyday living? Number two, emotion, the pathos, the passion. And it's not red-faced, angry condemnation. It's, I feel your pain. I understand where you're at. Help me understand it more deeply so that I can craft alongside of you an acceptable solution to this difficult situation in your life right now that's consistent for me as a Christian in a biblical worldview that will honor and glorify God. And if I'm good at this, I will actually enable you to be persuaded to buy into that worldview because if I'm adept at what I'm doing, I will be able to paint a picture that's more compelling than the alternative because when you're facing abortion and when you're facing childbirth, that is a T in the road and your life will be permanently different from that moment on. And you have to decide what are those consequences and what is best for me. And as a Christian, what would best honor God and what would lead to my human flourishing, which is God's desire anyway. He is the master of redeeming difficult situations and turning them into the greatest blessing in your life. And so that's, what, that's gonna be my pitch, but one step at a time. Just like at evangelism, I don't think every conversation I'm going to have, I'm going to close the deal and the guy's going to be in heaven by the time I'm done. I just want to move him one step closer to God. And I think I've led a lot of people to Christ in faith 
on an individual basis more than anyone I personally know, and that's the strategy that I know works. And this is the same thing in persuading our culture. We have to take them where they're at and move them one step closer to God's ideal, one step closer to God's ideal. We're never getting there because heaven is reserved for God's creation, not mine. But we're going to get as close as we can to that till Jesus comes back and then everything will be worked out. That's, that's kind of the strategy that I wanted to approach, and that's kind of where I wanted to start out this conversation to give you an idea of what we're really trying to do. One step at a time, closer to God's ideal, and let's talk in the language that people understand, and let's use the tools that God has given us of logic, pathos, and ethos, and then we'll talk about that in this podcast. Thanks for joining us. All right, it's great to be with you today. Obviously, this is a follow-up podcast, and I'm excited to have Hannah, who is on our staff, joining me today. We're going to be talking about basically what I was discussing after the Ohio vote, where they had lost the uh, amendment to the pro-abortion forces, to killing the babies rather than preserving them. And it's enshrined in the Constitution, and that was the seventh state in the Union that has done that now. And so that brings before me and the reason for this podcast is why? Why is it that we are unable to communicate a message of life in a meaningful way that is persuasive to people? And so my point was, as I was looking at it, is he said, the issue you have to do is you have to be able to speak in the language that the people can understand and relate to, to make your case. And getting all technical about it or super self-righteous about it or trying to guilt and shame people into embracing it, this does not cause people's hearts to open up and adopt your point of view. And the way that I thought about that after I heard that and obviously made the video, it's that this is really about how to approach evangelism as well. If you're going to stand on the street corner with a bullhorn and tell everyone they're going to hell and turn and burn, you're, maybe a few people will get saved, but not very many. A lot more are going to leave there making fun of you and uh, laughing at you, mocking you, and being further distanced from God as a result of that. And so what I did is I thought about this, and I've asked uh, Hannah to join me because she's got a great interest in this, and she's helping us on all of our podcasts, so I'm really glad to have you with us, Hannah. Why don't you say hi to everyone? Great to be with you guys. Um, The majority of the pro-choice arguments we classified into four main groups, and the easiest way to remember them is through the acronym SLED, which stands for SIZE, the level of development, the uh, environment, and the degree of dependency. And uh, while logos, ethos, and pathos are all important, uh, the logos portion deals with a lot of the legislative arguments that you're going to hear, especially if you're a politically engaged type person, uh, you're signing ballots, having these arguments in your back pocket are going to be essential. Just poke holes of all all the illogical fallacies that the left or uh, pro-choicers might be trying to use. So I'm going to walk through these with you guys. So, I see you have some nice notes there. Good yeah, job. I couldn't remember it otherwise. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so the first letter in slide is size. So this argument essentially is the fetus is so small that its life has no intrinsic value. It's so small, it's just a clump of cells inside the woman's womb that it doesn't have any inherent value or, you know, ne- it, you can kill it in the womb. It's just yeah. a clump of cells. This is completely so it's illogical. Like a foreign growth. Yeah. But this is the logic that every single dynasty or every single government has ever used to commit genocide of the strong can kill the weak. Just because someone's smaller means that you can now murder them because we are stronger than you. We have more weapons than you. We are better than you. You can look through the genocide of the Jewish people, of the weaker Muslims, of any single continent committing mass genocide and killings, that this is the logic that they have in their brain to do so. 
So this by this means, we're justifying mass wars across the continent because of someone's size. Yeah. Do you think that uh, this same concept, the same way of thinking involves the fact that we're going to commit genocide to these people because they're a bigger drain on our society? Absolutely. Then you go to the woman. This child is a bigger drain on my life than what it contributes back. So I'm justified in eliminating it and getting it early before it's too big of a drain on me. Is that what the mentality is? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that completely goes directly into the next one, which okay. is the level of development. Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. And this is actually an excerpt from her um, where she says, birth control is nothing more or less than the facilitation or the process of weeding out the unfit or preventing the birth of defectives of those who will become or those who will become defective. Her goal was to get rid of the people who become a burden on society because of their ailments, their skin color. This was yes. this is exactly that logic that you're talking about. Yep. But when we're talking about the um, level of development on a broader scale, the argument being made nowadays uh, is that because the fetus has not fully matured, it's killable. It's just a clump right. of cells still. Right. It doesn't have a brain, doesn't have a heartbeat, doesn't have limbs, so we can kill it. Well, again, there's hundreds of illogical fallacies you can point out in this one. Um, you can make the argument that we are all still clumps of cells. You right. can make the argument that we don't reach full ma mature maturation until, you know, maybe 16 to 24 years old. Right. Uh, puberty doesn't kick in until teenage years. Uh, full brain development doesn't exist till 25 for young adults. So by that right. logic, you can just start killing off the entire young adult population because their brains aren't fully formed. Yeah. So there's no argument here that stays consistent between pre-birth and post-birth of, of the baby in the womb. Right. So in this view, is it's only, it's pushing the question, what is a human? Exactly. What characteristics do you have to have to qualify as a human? And then if you want to abort your child, kill your child. You just make sure that that list of defi defining characteristics, they don't match up to. Exactly. They want to keep moving the line so that we can justify it in their eyes. Correct. But in reality, when you look at it on a broad scale logically and you apply the same logic to every single human being, this means we're killing off half the population. Um, and they are actually in favor of that. They want to reduce the world's population by at least 50%. You're they, not wrong. The WEF <laughs> said so. Yeah, one in 33 babies is actually born with a birth defect, which is about 120,000 babies each year. So by this logic, in this America? means we should be in America only. Okay. We should be killing off over 100,000 unborn children simply because they have a predetermined birth defect. Right. So the level of development is completely illogical. It's another form of mass genocide right. that is all about getting rid of the burdens on society. Right. Or anyone you don't like. That, that was, was <laughs> That's what happened in Germany. They exactly. didn't like the Jews, and so they defined them in some way that they no longer were contributors to society, we can eliminate them. Exactly. They're a bigger tax than they're worth carrying, so we're going to kill them. Exactly. Um, so the third one is environment, and this one is uh, extremely logical. It's It makes absolutely no sense. The protesters are going to claim because the baby is in the womb and in a different environment than the born human, you can kill it. Which doesn't make sense. We're in the same room together, but right. maybe later today I'll be out in Newport or maybe I'll drive down to San Diego. We're in different environments. Right. Does that mean you can kill me now? That's the only basis of it? This yeah. is the argument? It's the baby is still in the womb. It's in a different environment oh. than that of the mother. Yes. But how would they say it? It seems to me that they would say it this way. Because it, the baby is in the womb and it's tied through the umbilical cord, it's dependent on the mother and therefore an intrusion into her space and if she chooses not to have that intrusion into her space, she can eliminate that. Yeah. The environment argument is merely just the environment, but Literally? you completely hit. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
it's been made. <laughs> wow. We're reaching for straws here to have the justification of murder of children. This but, is good news because the, it's such a flimsy argument. Yeah. It's a hard heart that's trying to grasp mm. for something to to assuage the conscience that is making the person feel guilty for making or even thinking this way. Yeah, absolutely. That's but you hit the it. nail on the head, though, because that last point, the D in SLED stands for the degree of dependency, which the okay. argument being made is that since the fetus is dependent on the mother, it's in the womb through the umbilical cord for nutrition and safety, that because it's still inside the womb, we can we can kill it. It depends on the mother. But what happens when a mother gives birth and the baby is in its bassinet? It it's can still only dependent. Cry. That the the, the, the ba newborn baby can't go get a job and pay rent. No, it can't, can't even do any of those. Yeah, there's no way. Even up it's toddlers still dependent. through 14 years old, children are still dependent on their parents to provide the basic needs of protection, shelter, food, and water. So again, by the logic of pro-choicers, we're killing off up to 15-year-olds who can't get a job and provide for themselves. There's 30-year gamers in their mother's basements <laughs> that are still dependent on mom and cooking the meals and well, making the bed and burping they, the guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have their resources to at least provide for themselves. Yeah, okay. But the argument that a newborn baby somehow is no longer dependent on the mother or its parents right, it's is just crazy. Insane. Yeah. It, it, she child's fully, even for fluids, right? Yeah. Breastfeeding and everything else. It's really oh, dependent yeah, absolutely. on the mother. So it, it's, uh, it's hard to believe. Yeah. But those four arguments, if you can just remember SLED, the size, the level of development, its environment, and its degree of dependency, and remember how illogical it is. There's no flow of logic through any of these arguments. Because the line, like we just established, just it's keeps getting moved. It's fuzzy, yeah. But it's the easiest way to argue against legislation that wants complete access to abortion anytime, anywhere. Because by this logic, we're killing off half of our society. Right. Think about the elderly who may, might rely on a heart ventilator or someone who's in a coma. Well, Does this well, that's mean we're killing them now. off? That's what's happening in Canada, <laughs> right? It's using it as a form of uh, treatment, basically. Genocide is a form of, not I should call it genocide. A euthanasia is a form of treatment, medical treatment. Form of healthcare, yeah, for as health as healthcare, like yeah, it's crazy, it's yeah. crazy, and that's the that's the slippery slope you end up going down, right? If you continue to pursue this, people don't like to draw to that point, but you can, you want to draw to that point whenever you're involved in the legislative conversation right. or public debate forum. This isn't how you talk to the individual no. girl on the college campus no. who's at a rally <laughs> that you're speaking at. This no. is not persuasive <laughs> to them. But it's very valuable in talking in the political arena and crafting legislation and how we need to look at things uh, in an adult manner to properly represent a Christian worldview. Absolutely. And, and know how to pick holes in their view. Absolutely. That's great. That's really great. Okay, so that's the logical part. Then the next one is the ethos. How do we meet them on an emotional level? Now we're talking about, let, let's go back to that college campus or that high school campus and the girls are all riled up and there's a, there's an election coming and they're getting texts from the Democratic Party, which is stated in their platform. They're pro-abortion. I'm not mm -hmm. accusing them of something that they don't believe. And they're sending the text. Be sure to get out and vote. You don't want to lose your right to choose. You want to have autonomy over your body. And so with that kind of swirling around, how do we talk to that group? These 16 to 26 uh, young women who are who've just totally bought the line unthinkingly. And know some people maybe who've had to deal with the crisis of all of that. Yeah, it's, it starts with empathy. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get anywhere when you're talking about the pro-life argument right. and saying, you made a horrible decision. You are a murderer for killing your child. You're not going to get anywhere with that. This, and you're this, a Moloch worshiper. Right. <laughs> yeah. These women are scared. Right. They don't know how they're going to navigate single motherhood if it's them specifically who, you know, 
got pregnant by accident. Right. You know, maybe they don't have specific moral values that were intrinsic in their upbringing that, you know, told them to abstain from sexual relations. Yeah, and they don't have a Christian worldview. Right. So it does, it has to start with a place of empathy and understanding like, hey, I hear you. I see where you're at. And now we need to rally around you to offer you resources and support, not doping you up with meds that pushing you towards plant parenthood, but instead showing you love and showing you care and showing you that there's other options and avenues that that will help you navigate this new life. Okay. So let's say it's, it's a friend of your friend and -hmm. they want to talk to you and you need to, you're trying to persuade them. This is the whole goal. Now we're trying to persuade them to not take the abortion option. So somehow you have to empathetically connect with them and you have to address the issue, not just this is immoral, Mm -hmm. which is your least powerful argument especially yeah. if they're not a believer right. and they don't even know if they believe in God at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're terrified and they don't know what their future options are. Uh, what is the best approach to connect with them emotionally and then deal with the issues in order to present a persuasive argument that would opt or help them opt towards preserving the life of the child rather than getting the abortion. Yeah. I think women that get stuck in that position, it's not that they have a desire to end the child's life in the womb. It's that they're not ready right then. They don't feel they're ready to handle it. No 16 year old wants to be a single mom still living at home, going through the bodily changes that are involved with pregnancy, going through childbirth, and then also being responsible with raising that child. Yeah. Going to school with their little baby. Yeah. And so I think approaching the conversation of understanding where the gaps in society are of not supporting, Mm -hmm. not supporting women who are put in that position. I think I've heard you say it best. Um, off camera before of there's certain health complications as well. She might not want that child now, but she probably wants a family at some point. Would this be persuasive? You're a young woman. Would this be persuasive to say, listen, I'm not, I don't even want to talk to you for this point at this point uh, about the religious or the moral argument. I want to talk about the real life ramifications of this decision. And the question is what's going to be in your best interest emotionally, physically, and ultimately as a Christian, I would hope spiritually. But we'll address that last. Uh, You have two options. You can kill the child, right? Or you can have the child. If you choose to kill the child, what are the consequences on your your life? The first is we know that when a woman has an abortion, she is 600% more likely to commit suicide Mm -hmm. later on in life. Number two, we know that she has to deal with with the natural law in her own heart, which is, I know that there's, this is not just like a cancer cell developing. Right. This is something really, this is some, this is a part of me and it represents me. It, it is me in some way. And it's a child and it's in process. It's a, it's a child in process. We can call it at least that. Right. And that makes me feel very uh, guilty and uh, concerned and, uh, full of anguish to make this decision. It's never easy for a woman to do that. And that anxiety creates longer-term emotional ramifications in that that person's life, really the rest of their life, even if they're able to uh, compartmentalize and say, well, that was good for me then, and that, that may be the rationalization that they come up with, but it, they still have to deal with that. They still have to come to grips with that. Yeah. Uh, the third thing that ends up happening is it when you have that, you expose yourself to what is under uh estimated and how much how how hard it is on your body especially the later that the abortion occurs in right. the in the time and it's it has serious consequences on your physical body and can lead to higher levels of infertility for right. women who had abortions as opposed to those who didn't higher levels 
and as you know, we you've talked about it off camera that they throw around a percentage of about thirty percent leads to secondary health issues that could cause infertility. Right. So it's a percentage of the thirty percent. But still, I've I've known women who've had an abortion and wondered, is this the reason why I can't get pregnant? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not a doctor, right. but it does have some impact there. Then when they go home, so they it is a medical procedure so it's serious number two you go home you can bleed out if you you have to be very careful that that there aren't some long-term consequences that you weren't aware of the doctor wasn't aware of when it took place and there's that's a negative side effect and third you're going to be your hormones and your whole body is going to go through a very uh difficult physical time and then eventually you have to deal with how am I going to rebalance my hormones? How am I going to get back on track? How am I going to get back to feeling healthy? And then that's when the pharmaceutical companies come in and, and, and they become your legal uh, drug dealer is really what they are. And they get you hooked on in a lifetime client for them. It's really terrible. So that's, that's the option of taking an abortion. The other side is, well, we bring it to term, which means we need help. We need nutrition. We need guidance. We need counseling. We need to, train you how to be a parent, especially if you're 14 and a half yeah. and, you're, and you're living at home. We've got to get the family on your side because, you know, that's going to create some sort of conflict. You're going to have people telling you that you, there's a dumb decision. You should get an abortion. You're going to have to know how to deal with that. And then the, the last piece is, let's say you're going to go through, though, you're going to get, you're going to have your child. Now you have a child. You're 15 years old, 15 and a half now, right? Nine months later, you, you, you have a child. Where are you going to live? How are you going to live? What skills should you continue in school? Should you learn a skill? Should you get an ability to uh, take care of yourself and, and be able to get out of the nest sooner? Where are your parents willing to support you? Are there any organizations that give help? As, tell us about that. Yeah, there's incredible pro-life pregnancy centers that uh, are across almost every single state and every single county. And specifically here in Huntington Beach, there's, there's a plethora of them right. that will specifically offer you know people who, us from the outside, we can easily take in baby clothes, um, diapers, oh, yeah. car seats, all the resources that a single mom is going to need but might not have the financial resources to actually provide. And it allows the mom to come in and pick up those resources. That way, post-birth, she's set up for success with her child. She's not scrambling left and right trying to make ends meet. Likely, you know, yeah. working multiple jobs to now provide for a whole other human being in the household. Right. But these pregnancy centers, not only do they provide those tangible resources, but a lot of them provide classes. They walk parents through, okay, here's the different formative years in your child's life. Uh, at these ages, you know, you're going to want to be looking at, you know, X, Y, and Z yeah, of, of what can be going on. And when they reach, you know, their toddler years, you're going to want to look at these developmental issues. Um, yeah. issues. And it walks them on through what to expect. Because mm -hmm. most most likely she doesn't know what to expect. Motherhood is is brand new to her. And so this is a great resource that she can go into. She can be with women who are there to support her, ready to encourage her and educate her. So when she has a baby, she already is five steps ahead. Yeah. And there's a lot of Christian organizations behind oh, it. We'll give you spiritual counseling. Most of them are Christian. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the only ones I even know of, but I'm sure there's some others. But uh, And then we as a Christian family can get behind that. We can Absolutely. be supportive of that. We can be engaged and provide resources and things like that. And then they can know that they're in a loving community. Absolutely. And so as a pastor, I'm concerned that if we have a, a person that gets pregnant in our church, that they don't have to wear the scarlet letter, that mm -hmm. they can walk around saying, okay, we all sin in many ways. Now that's behind us. Let's continue to move forward. Let's get behind this girl. Let's support her. Let's encourage yeah. her. Let's nurture her. Let's help her successfully raise this child because the positive side of the child is the long range. Mm -hmm. and the long range is you get to be a mom. Yeah. 
Yeah. And a mom is the greatest calling of a woman. God was designed you uniquely to give bill, uh, get, to bring children into the world. <laughs> Another way of saying that is God has designed woman, women to have the only gift there is, which takes the physical world and unites it with the spiritual world and the body of a human being. They co-create with God in that act. And it is a great honor and an incredible privilege. And it is one of the joys of being a woman. There's some hard parts about being a woman, but this is one of the joys of being a woman. And one of the great things. And yeah. regardless of what popular culture says, men cannot do that ever. Right. It's a beautiful part of womanhood. That's yes, so exactly. quickly trying to be erased yes. through this pro-choice and pro-abortion argument of motherhood is a burden. Right. And it's something that you shouldn't want to do. And being a stay-at-home mom is a burden. And of course, like that's not for everyone. Right. And that's, you know, but you can be a working mom too. But you can still be a mom and you can right. love your family. You can have that desire to sit around the dining table together and have children that you're raising to be part of society and raising them in the values that you have and you want to share with them. Exactly. And that's that's one of the joys of motherhood. And I know, you know, I have two boys and big guys. And every time Linda comes in the room, they come over and they just, you know, just hug her, pick her up off the ground. And she just feels like the greatest, most important person in the world. <laughs> I can walk over and give her a hug and she goes, well, thank you. That's pleasant. But when the boys do it, it's on a whole new level of joy in her heart and a sense of gratitude and satisfaction and pride that wells up in her. It's part of, you know, the beauty of being a woman. And, and I, I, I just feel like in our whole culture, women are devalued and they're told repeatedly, you need to be more like men. You need to be more like a CEO. You need to be yeah. more like the boss. You need to get rid of, you know, this, this oppressive environment that you're in. You, you know, you're not the weaker vessel here and you need to let them know that you're coming hard and all this stuff, and it, it's stupid because why do you want to strap on all this part of the masculine temperament when you, God has given you a unique feminine temperament that enjoys the nurturing and the nourishing and the encouraging and the growing of life That's that starts in your womb and it continues to the day you die. You just, you, if you're, you're around a mom, they're always doing things for, you know, Linda, you know, she still reminds me to put on a coat. I don't even need a coat, <laughs> but that's the mom coming out in her. And that's the part of saying, I'm going to nurture. I'm going to tear. I'm going to take care of. I'm going to be concerned about. I'm going to look after. If our boys come over and they leave, they usually have a bag of goodies. I'm thinking, what are we doing? We're buying them all this stuff. What, what's going on here? Well, we just let them clean out this and that. that. That's part of what it means to be a mom. And she loves doing it. And you see the joy in her heart of doing it. And it's, 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 it's a crime shame because... We're telling, we're giving the message, men, you don't need to have any kind of a commitment or loyalty to your family or to your seed. Spread it far and wide and have no, no accountability for it. And women, you are, you know, you should have the same freedom as the men. So you can take your birth control that can screw up all of your hormones and ruin your health in the long run. And then if you do get pregnant, you can do this thing called an abortion and kill the baby. So there's not hassling your lifestyle. And if you decide to keep them while well, it's on, you're on your own because no one's here to help you. Because the guy that's out there, he's not attached. He just waves. And the government will write you a check. And your God is spelled G-O-V-E-R-N-M-E-N-T, period. And that's what destroys people's lives. It's not satisfying. It's not enriching. It's not enjoyable. It destroys what it means to be a woman and the joy that she can have. And these are all the lies that our culture tells us. Mm -hmm. And this, this is creating this alienation that we have in culture right now, where these young people are just saying they're the most alcoholic, most drug addicted, most depressed, most suicidal, most unhappy generation on record when we take in stats on measuring these things. It's because we got it all re reversed. And I believe it starts with the lack of a woman having 
the joy, the support, the value, and the encouragement of being a mom. Absolutely. And I think the part of that that's so important that churches are missing is that women have that innate desire, whether or not they're ready for it, which is, I think, is where the crux of the abortion argument comes into this, is that you have a 15, 16-year-old who's not ready for that lifestyle. She wants it. God built that intrinsically within her, but she's not ready for it. And churches are so quick. Can pastors speak from the pulpit on, we have to be pro-life, we have to protect the unborn. But once it happens in their church, where's the support for that girl? Right. All of a sudden, because it's not happening in the context of the nucleus family that builds the population, right. that's benefiting and giving back, and we're in that process, right. all of a sudden, now that baby's life isn't as important as it was before, because it's really easy to give a pro-life sermon, right. to talk about the intrinsic value of, of the sanctity of, the of human, life. Yeah. But when it's outside of wedlock, and it's outside, and it's premarital it's sex that we're talking about, all of a sudden that that support isn't as seen right. as much. And so I think churches are missing an opportunity to come around and support these young women yeah. who are choosing to carry this child to term. They're doing the brave thing. Yeah, the more courageous thing. To, it's a lot to, harder. See, it, to see this through yeah. to the, you know, because of the decisions that were made that brought her there. And more churches need to be backing up in yeah. that sort of way. Uh, yeah, I fully agree. And part you don't have to do the whole thing yourself. You can partnership with these other organizations right. and be involved and help out in that way. Right. Uh, let's change gears a little bit now as we move towards kind of wrapping this up. And that is, what is our strategy? Or I'm going to bounce this off. This is a strategy I think it should be handled. And again, it's based on uh, the polling that I had mentioned in the previous uh, video. And that is that they found you can't go for the whole hog in one deal. Mm-mm. It has to be an incremental persuasion. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk to people about evangelism, I always say one step closer. You don't have to close the deal the first time you meet somebody. And in fact, it's pretty rare that you do. More than often, your job is plant a seed, plant a seed, water the seed, don't walk away, but water the seed, plant the seed, water the seed, cultivate the seed, come back one step every time, a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And this is the same thing you do in, I would say, the, the cultural pushback as a, as a Christian organization or a, as a group of Christians. It's, it's borderline on the political, but it's bigger than that. It's, it's, it should go beyond the political. It should go into day-to-day. Then when I talk to people about it, number one, I'm trying to see, am I talking about a person that's asking me, should they personally get an abortion? That's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Then in general, when we're talking about it, we want to move the populace and the culture to embrace more of a culture of life. And so we have to do it one step at a time. And when it affects even the legislation, you legislate what you can get passed. And if you can't get a total uh, making it illegal, well, where do we decide when it's okay to kill the baby? Let's get that. Right. And let's prohibit from there on, right? And if we can get that, then we're going to move it back. And we'll keep moving it back, step at a time, until hopefully the goal is in the political realm to make it illegal, make it codified as murder, period, and unacceptable. Now, I don't know if that day will ever come, but the closer we get to that deadline, the happier and the more lives that we're going to be able to save. And so we can't think, oh, I'm a failure unless I go for all of it. Well, you go for all of it right now. You sound like a crazy man. If I, if people say, oh, that's the pastor that thinks that he should be outlawed. Yeah, I am. They'll think, oh, he's a crazy man. I understand. But I'm my, I don't, I don't get to determine the, po- the political uh, temperature and, and decisions. It's a, it, the way our republic works. You get to vote and we, we hire people to do that for us called the elected people, right? So my goal is to persuade people to move the, the boundary closer and closer and closer to conception. This is my whole goal. So you take what you have and you pass that instead of being all or nothing all the time because you're going to lose the all or nothing in almost anything, in almost any negotiation, in almost any uh, 
compromise that you have to come up with or even any sales. If I'm going to go buy a house, rarely am I going to pay top dollar day one. There's going to be a negotiation that takes place. And if I say it's all or nothing, then it's going to be nothing because someone else is going to come along and, uh, and offer a better deal. And so uh, I think we need to approach it that way. Take what we can get in the legal realm and in the uh, political realm and don't, don't be a shy to, and slowly push it back. Understand where that boundary is and slowly push it back until it's in alignment with our biblical values. And then on the personal level, what we're trying to do is, is, is minister to the person on all three levels. Number one, I want to connect with you first. Why are you asking me this? Are you struggling with this? Are you pregnant now? Uh, how can I help you? What do you uh, I'm sure you're anxious if you are. How can I uh, engage you with those things and meet them where they're at emotionally and then show them, take them down the path of options. And then obviously if they're talking to me as a pastor, I, it's kind of like cheating on my part. They expect the spiritual conversation so I can give them that. But as a Christian, you can also say that I'm a person of faith. I, I, I have a relationship with Christ, with the living God. And uh, from my understanding of the world and reality is he would have you keep this child and he would partnership with you and he will be a father to the fatherless and if that's the situation you find in you can you can entrust your life to him and to his care and to his control and lead them into a life of faith and into a life of the spiritual value of having the child and you can slowly move in that direction ultimately that's our goal for her for sure and hopefully for the baby as well you know anything you want to add to that i think that's spot on and i think even the Probably the greatest example currently of that, you know, taking it slowly inch by inch is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Right. If we went from a federal level, okay, well, now at least we're down to the states. And we're seeing Correct. some states do the total ban. We're seeing some states go like Ohio. Mm -hmm. We're seeing some states like California where we're now a sanctuary state for abortion. Right. But now we've minimized these fights and these battlegrounds on fighting for life to the state level. And so now we don't have to think we're tackling the whole country at once and right. a complete ban of abortion. No, like worry about your own state. Let's talk about. Let's talk to our representatives. Like, let's send those send in those letters. Let's petition. Right. Let's figure out how we can slowly take back um, rights in the states. Like you even mentioned in your previous post, heartbeat bills. Right. You know, slowly gaining back ground instead of trying to go for the all or nothing approach. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. And just trying to find where where it, where is the populace willing to 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 move towards us? Mm -hmm. Be patient. Take what the opponent gives you. Use what he gives you against them. Hit if you're going to talk to individuals. Hit them on the level first of empathy. Yes, this is a tragedy. Yes, this is a problem. It is tragic. It's painful. It's difficult. It's hard. I'm here to help in any way I can. Mm -hmm. And I'm not condemning you for doing this. It doesn't. Remember, Jesus talked to the woman caught in adultery, right? Mm -hmm. He was without sin. Throw the first stone. You don't need to be throwing stones. No. You need to be saying, how can I help this person? And then say what? Go and sin no more. What does that mean? I'm here to help you overcome this. I'm here to help you deal with this and hopefully reconcile you to God through the process. And then it can become an evangelistic tool. And then you'll reach not just her, but her friends, her family, because they'll be surprised that Christians were actually nice to them. Yeah. The only way we're going to gain any ground, specifically in approaching the women yeah. who are contemplating this decision, is coming with 100% truth, but 100% grace. Right. You're not going to get anywhere if you're not showing that empathy and not taking into regard the situation that she has. That's going to be life-altering, whichever way she takes it. Exactly. This is good. Life's not going to be the same either way. That's no. a great point to say, okay, you are where you're at. You're from this point on, your life will never be the same. Mm -hmm. Now you get, let's see which path is going to be best. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like you said, you got to speak the truth, say it as nicely as you can, but you're killing a baby at what, what age is it okay to kill? And, and then, then it's not okay anymore. That's, okay. that's really what we have to talk about. And then you take it even another step is what makes a human a human? 
Let's have that conversation. Exactly. It's not with this person in a crisis, but it, it, it's in the bigger, broader perspective. What makes a human a human? That's it. And, and until it's understood that that's a human being there, that's a human being after conception, it's a human being. It has all the DNA necessary to be a unique individual to grow into full life if uninhibited, uh, then we need to treat it as such. And that's, that's the, the philosophical and scientific argument. Anyways, I hope this is helpful. Anything in last words you have? Yeah. Well, I'm thanks for being with me. <laughs> it's great sharing this time with you, and we hope it's helpful for everybody out there that's listening. Thanks for having me. Glad to, glad to do it.